All right, we'll go ahead and begin. Um, may I just begin with a prayer for us? Let's pray. Lord, we stand before you this afternoon to declare you are God. In you, all things hold together, and we worship you. Lord, may you bless our time together this afternoon as we look into uh, what can be done in Haiti and what your purpose is for that nation and how we can be part of the agenda that you have. Lord, we want to pray that you will quicken our spirits. You will speak into the things that we are already doing. Uh, You will change us. You will train us. You equip us. You will inform us. Uh, We hamper ourselves before you and uh, just uh, praying, Lord, that indeed your voice will be strong to us, that we may hear you and walk in your ways. Uh, We dedicate ourselves to you in this time together. Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I've already been asked if I am Haitian (laughs) Um, or what we are doing there. Uh, My name is Florence Mwindi, and I am Kenyan. Uh, I live in Nairobi, Kenya, and um, uh, we've been involved with some work in uh, in Haiti. Do you say Haiti or Haiti? Haiti, okay. Haiti, okay, all right. So, yeah, I've been involved in, in Haiti. I'll just call it Haiti because I'm used to calling it that. <laughs> um, and um, I just thank God for the opportunity he's giving us as, um, as practitioners, as people who definitely do have a concern for this nation, uh, to discuss and hear together uh, what would God say to us in relation to reaching out to this nation and making an impact there. Just by a show of hands, how many of us have been to Haiti? Wow, okay. And how many of us have worked in that nation? That's wonderful. So I think all the stories are here, and I will not be telling much of that. Uh, I visited Haiti about, I think for the first time ever, about three years ago. Um, And uh, the plan was not really to get involved. Uh, it was just to go and see. We do partner with Southeast Christian Church, and uh, the missions department invited us to just go and have a look, uh, walk around in prayer, and just hear God together, sort of speak into what is happening in that nation. And uh, innocently, we went, um, we, we walked the place, and God just so powerfully spoke to us that there was no way we could go home and remained the same without obeying. Uh, so we found ourselves back in that nation uh, to do our work. I think for me what really brought me um, was an evening that we went to be with one of the pastors. And uh, we, began, we began to pray. It was an intercessory time of prayer. And um, God convicted me uh, as an African Um, and as an African who is involved in ministry, to realize that where the church of of Haiti is today is partly because of us, and we are to blame. And uh, just the ugly picture of a slave trade came before me, and I just saw how our forefathers in Africa 
betrayed um, the forefathers of uh, the, the, the nation, the, the Haitians today, and uh, and sold them into slavery. And for me, it was just the pain of betrayal, of rejection, um, of the journey across the oceans, and a feeling that they had been exchanged for commodities, for money, for whatever it was. And them living with that over the years, that really uh, weighed on me that night and, and broke my heart. And I remember just holding my brother's hand and saying, um, forgive us. Forgive us for what happened. Um, and it was a deep time of repentance. And as we walked away from that time of uh, visiting and praying and hearing God, um, I knew God was inviting us to be involved in that nation. I work for Life in Abundance. And Life in Abundance is a ministry that partners with the local church um, to serve the poor and the vulnerable, based from John 10.10, 10, that they may have life and have it in abundance. And we have been involved in work in uh, difficult places. We are working in Sudan, uh, both north and south. We're involved in Egypt, um, Eritrea, Djibouti, um, Ethiopia. We're involved in Kenya. And our focus is usually the, the most vulnerable, um, the slums, the, the areas that are marginalized, uh, where the poor live. And uh, where the poor live is under difficult situations. And we go in there to partner with the local church um, to equip her that she may be able to reach out to her neighbors, to her uh, clients in the community, and to her people who worship in the church in a way that will minister to felt needs, um, in a way that is sustainable, really just reaching out, as it were, Isaiah 61, uh, preaching the good news to the poor and setting the captives free, um, redeeming them, breaking the strongholds, and allowing God to be worshipped in these communities. Uh, this has been going on for close to 20 years, and we've been partnering with Southeast in some of these areas. So really, our entry into, into Haiti and the visit that time was sort of, can you come and see what God is doing in Haiti compared to what he is doing in these countries that you are serving? And is there a way that we can uh, share some of the principles that we have seen can work among the poor to cause transformational development that is sustained and locally owned? And we were just going to hear together, can it happen in, in Haiti? And as I said, uh, we've been there now for the last three years. We are in the Jackmel uh, area. Uh, we initially just entered um, to pilot, so we train about five churches in the principles that we use in, in the other countries. And then some churches saw what was happening with the churches that we had trained, and now they've invited us and we've trained close to 40 others um, that they may pick up these principles. We're just at the verge of opening a church-based uh, clinic there. Um, so I do know we will be in that Jackmel area for some time. Um, we have uh, three people working with Life in Abundance from Kenya, uh, now based in Jackmel. Um, and for me, it's such a testimony that we can come from Africa um, into Haiti and see God glorified. Um, I feel it's so, it's so redemptive. It's something that I know is honoring God. It's uh, glorifying him. And I'm so thankful that we can see it happen 
in our time, uh, in our generation. Amen? Amen. Amen. I am a bit Pentecostal, so I'm sorry I say that. (laughs) Okay, so our topic today um, is, is there hope for Haiti? And I am not presenting it alone. We are presenting it together. And in particular, I do have the senior leadership team, part of the senior leadership team of Life in Abundance here. James uh, Gatera is right here. Uh, we came together from Kenya. <laughs> and then uh, Victor Mikebani is, is right there. He's a regional director, actually now based in the U.S. and reaching out to our work in, uh, in Jamaica and in, in Haiti. And also uh, the work with uh, churches and partnership here in the U.S., and then um, Sarah, Sarah is here. And Sarah is uh, our team's coordinator. Uh, she's based here in Louisville, Kentucky, and works with our short-term teams. Uh, Life in Abundance has an office here in Kentucky, and the other one is in uh, Phoenix. We are opening another one in Dallas, and uh, Sarah is so precious to us. It's nice to see you. Anyone else from Life in Abundance? I almost feel like claiming those two twins there, but <laughs> it's, it's well. Um, so really, is there hope for Haiti, and are there new initiatives that can be modeled in this country that would make a difference? Um, poverty is commonly associated with luck, and Haiti has uh, received significant contributions to address that luck um, during the last several decades. I'm sure you are witness to that. Uh, They have received personnel, especially from the U.S. Um, Every time you just visit that island, you just see the presence of the U.S. in in Haiti. And then uh, it's also received lots of materials and uh, and much more. And maybe we would ask ourselves this afternoon, what is the current status in this hurting country? And is this help continuing? And if it is, in what ways? And what is being done, and can it be done differently? Um, There are some initiatives in the country that are rising um, as examples of success. And maybe we can ask ourselves, those that are succeeding, what are the guiding principles behind these that they would succeed in areas where there has been so much failure? And how are they modeling and instilling fresh hope in this devastated country? Uh, we are all witnesses to what happened in January, January um, 12th of 2010. Um, it's a date that will not be forgotten soon in Haiti. Uh, it's the day Haiti was struck by the deadliest earthquake in uh, modern history. And following that devastating disaster, more than 230,000 uh, people were killed. And millions more were left homeless. There were several makeshift um, camps for the internally displaced people, and these came up in almost all the areas in in Haiti. Uh, The media moved in and began to cover this disaster, and a great response was mobilized, and relief just began to pour in. Um, Several people just moved in and made uh, made camp in, in Haiti. And what was interesting was the way Haiti was mentioned in the press. Um, it was mentioned as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And um, maybe the question would, would come, 
why is it the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere? How did it get to that point? Opinions began to be shared to explain uh, what was going on in relation to the earthquake, but also in relation to why it happens to be the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And uh, just the day after the earthquake, uh, Pat Robertson mentioned Haitians were suffering because they had sold themselves to the devil. And we probably have had uh, that opinion. I'm sure it's been talked about in several forums, uh, for or against. And then the New York Times was not left behind. Uh, David Brooks accused Haiti of having progress-resistant cultural influences. Just no progress. Progress-resistant cultural influences. And they advocated for intrusive paternalism. The history of Haiti is very interesting. Indeed, it contrasts the current situation. Uh, just over 200 years ago, Haiti, which was then a French colony, was perhaps the most progressive um, land in the world. Um, the island was covered with sugar plantations, and at that time, 90% of the Haitian population was made up of slaves. Um, they were exporting sugar, and it was just vibrant with energy just 200 years ago. And to support the farming and the sugar processing activity, millions of slaves began to just be moved from, from Africa. And uh, the more they were brought, the more they died because of the harsh conditions there uh, with the harsh slave masters. And um, the population just continued to need to be replenished by more slaves coming from Africa. As I mentioned, I visited Haiti for the first time about three years ago, and just driving around the island, what really surprised me was how similar things were to things that I am uh, familiar with in Africa. From just the way they light charcoal, to the way they, they roast corn, um, to what crops they grow, I, I saw a particular strain of beans that is only grown by my tribe. In fact, my tribe is sort of teased because we plant that bean. And um, I just sort of realized, uh, you know, the Haitians, the, the slaves were removed from Africa, but Africa is still very much alive in them. Um, many, many years uh, later, they are still our people. They're still my people. <coughs> So um, what I felt and was convicted about during that trip <coughs> is the spiritual bondage that exists in this island. Um, the mixture, as you know, of the Catholicism and the African traditional beliefs have continued to fuel uh, voodoo. And sadly, many, many Haitians are still waiting today to hear the true gospel. Um, there has been confusion upon confusion, and there hasn't been that preaching of the good news to the poor. The church is weak, and I could just compare the, where the status of the church is and the current status of uh, the church in most countries in Africa. Uh, you cannot just compare the, the vibrant worship and the relationship uh, we have with God in Africa um, and what the Haitians have. So much as they, Africa has not been removed from them, they have, they have lost a lot as the church in Africa has gone uh, through transformation over the years. Um, 
So how did that slave era end? And uh, how did Haiti move from being a French colony to what it is today? I'm sure you've read their history. 1791, the slaves launched one of the largest slave revolts in history. Uh, they set the plantations on fire. They destroyed uh, and killed their masters. They came upon all the um, machinery that was there, and they uh, demolished all that. And uh, within two years of that revolt, they gained uh, their freedom. In fact, they gained freedom over the whole island. And uh, to sustain Haiti following this revolt, um, Haiti invested heavily in their military uh, upkeep because they needed to stay protected. And also the, the, French, um, the French imposed on them a debt because they needed to pay back for the destruction that they had caused. So again, although they were free as slaves, they continued to be held hostage by the continued payment of this debt, which they continued to pay for decades. And then at the same time, they needed to continue to provide for their military so that they can remain safe from the threat of their masters coming again. Another highlight in the history of Haitians was in 1915, when a military coup was staged, and uh, the chaos that followed that military coup sort of gave an open door for the U.S. to come in to maintain order. And uh, as they came in, um, they continued to occupy Haiti for the next 20 years. Uh, during the U.S. occupation, uh, schools came up. Um, uh, the, several things happened during that time that were, were good. The schools came up. Uh, there was uh, agricultural companies that moved in and began to be uh, part of what was going on. Uh, but what, what happened was there was that paternalistic uh, situation that was instilled in the nation, and they began to sort of look up to the U.S. Uh, to, lead them, to lead them, other than owning their leadership and moving forward to develop. Today, just looking at the current status, what can we say about this nation? Uh, we can say there is political exhaustion. Um, there is a succession of military regimes uh, that has left Haiti with almost non-functional uh, social infrastructure. And Haiti is policed largely by, by the UN soldiers, um, and they've been in command since the overthrow of President Jean in 2004. Um, there are thousands of foreign organizations that have flocked Haiti over the years with projects for improvement, with uh, opportunities for development, with partnerships that exist in that country. So just uh, lots and lots of foreign organizations that are working there. And several teams enter Haiti almost every day from the U.S. Um, the times that I've gone there, I've traveled with teams. The times I've been on the ground, I have seen several teams. Uh, the times I'm coming back, I connect with lots of teams uh, coming back uh, from this country. In spite of all this help, in spite of all that has been done in this, in this country, there continues to be, to be hunger, and you, get, you got it right. There's poverty, there's poor health, um, and still daily, daily Haitians are in need. Uh, there's an increase in, in violent crime, and the majority of the population is still increasingly desperate. 
So the press was right. Haiti was and is still the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and one of the poorest countries really in the developing world. Not just poverty in economic terms, but poverty spiritually, uh, poverty in um, the social fabric, uh, poverty in culture, just poverty over and over again is, is prevailing in this nation. Its per capita income is about uh, $250, and this is considered less than te- one-tenth um, the Latin American average. And about 80% of the rural Haitian population lives in poverty. And uh, far from improving, the poverty situation in Haiti has been deteriorating over the past uh, decades. I was just looking at what has been happening over the last uh, several decades. And life expectancy is only 57 years compared with um, 69, which is the, the Latin American average. And less than half of the population in Haiti is literate. Um, only half of the population in Haiti is literate. About one child in five of secondary school age children actually get to attend secondary school. And uh, health conditions are similarly very poor. Vaccination coverage for children, for example, is only 25%. Uh, and only about one-fourth of the population has access to save uh, drinking water, just a quarter of the population. The majority of the people in this country are living in unacceptable conditions, especially when they are so close to developed countries with so much excess that they can offer. Um, 62% of Haitians live under one and a quarter uh, dollar a day. 62%. So looking at the landscape and looking at what the the Haitians are doing and what is happening there, uh, the soil is just quickly getting depleted. As you drive across across the country from Port-au-Prince into the rural areas over the hills, you just see the continued uh, deterioration of the environment. And uh, to survive, the Haitians still continue to depend, uh, drawing from what they can get from the relief operations that are pouring into Haiti. Um, There has been migrant uh, Haitian workers that continue to serve in the neighboring islands like the Dominican Republic, and also coming here in the U.S., and they are sending uh, support back home. But as a whole, it is clear the current aid schemes are simply not working. Um, They are not able to address the larger issues of poverty, ecological devastation, insufficient education, um, opportunities for development, lack of food, water, health care. And uh, demonstrators, we we saw a bit of that. Demonstrators are often chanting, we are tired. We are tired. Um, So is there hope for this this island? Uh, Is it possible that we can make a difference? The hope in in Haiti lies lies with us. Because this this is medical missions. This is global health, and we are called to bring health, the total well-being of the peoples of the earth. 
Um, Psalms 96.3 tells us to go declare the glory of God to the nations, including declaring his glory in Haiti. And maybe we can ask ourselves, what is God's design? Um, You know, God gave man clear instructions. Um, After creation, back in the Garden of Eden, um, the assignment is in Genesis 1.24 to 28. He tells him, go and have children. And uh, go and take charge of the resources, uh, continuing to control the environment. In other words, be my manager. Um, But disobedience came in and uh, disaster came in when there was separation between God and man. Confusion and death came in and as life became difficult, the environment began to suffer. And uh, poverty and lack came in based on that um, separation. And um, man began to continually fall continually begin to look for a way to get back to God and continually falling short of God's glory. But Jesus Christ came and his mission was that he may redeem. Um, He just declares in in John 10.10 what the thief has taken uh, intending to steal, to kill and destroy, I have come. And he says so with the authority of Christ. Um, I have come that I may redeem. I have come that I may establish dominion on the earth. I have come that the nations may worship my Father and that I may bless the peoples of the earth. And he re-instructed his disciples, just telling them, go preach the good news. Um, It's so powerful when we just hear the Great Commission again. Go preach the good news, and there I am with you to the ends of the earth. And... um, Preaching this good news is holistic. Um, It's spiritual, it's physical. Uh, It's the whole redemption um, that man may be united with God, but also we may go back to where there is this change, there is sustained change, and uh, there is development that is transformational. Um, The great commandment informs us in this, and it clearly tells us, Uh, to love our neighbors as ourselves, having loved God. And um, to love him with all our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, uh, to get involved in this love, that it may be active and that it may be visible. And um, the great concern also continues to instruct that process because it says I was was thirsty, I was naked, I was uh, in hospital, and you attended to my needs. Um, and to the least of these, my brothers, whatever you do, you do it to me. Um, obedience to God's instructions, I believe, is the beginning of Christian development. And I'm calling it Christian development because it depends on the reason why we get involved in the first place. Um, it is the process to achieve God's intention for nations and communities that we go, um, that we may see him glorified, that we may see him worshipped. And uh, as Christians, we are left with much guidance, um, that we do not go without knowing, we do not go as orphans, we are well instructed and guided as to how we should go. Ours is to seek out those guidelines and obey them 
and God will be glorified. God will have dominion in the areas where we go. And when we fail to follow these principles, when we begin to follow man and our thinking, um, especially when we are doing so in the name of Christ, then what results is detrimental, um, if at all uh, it's seen in the areas where we have gone. So what are these principles and how can we just in a, in a little glimpse ask ourselves, are these principles being followed in Haiti? And could that be the reason why we continue to fail in such a small nation? Um, because we are just talking about 10 million people plus. Um, why is it that with all these resources we are not making a difference? In principle, development should assist people in the community to grow towards God's intention for them. And the ultimate goal is to make disciples. That's the main reason why we go. Um, the interest should be in changed people's lives, should be seen in us, the disciples that we have made. And the development that we bring should be a means to enable God to be worshipped in the places where we are. It should result in the improvement of uh, the people that receive us and the people that partner with us that these services may come. And development should bring awareness that God desires change uh, for the better and that his power and resources are available, that the people who we go to can be able to turn to him and be sustained in him. And it should result in the participation that we bring, uh, causing the participants who join us uh, to reach out to others in those same communities so that there can be a multiplication of this disciple making. Uh, we were made into disciples and we were sent to go make disciples, uh, just like it was in the initial time. If this is not accompanying the places where we go, uh, if um, the communities are not being turned to God, then I believe it's us to ask ourselves, what has gone wrong? Um, what have we not employed that the people we minister to are moving further and further away from God? We could ask, who should set the development agenda? Who really should set the way development should be done in Haiti? It's obvious this should be set and owned by the people for whom that development is intended for. Uh, it should be consistent with God's intentions for man, as we find it in the scriptures, with all the guidance that we are given. And it should be prayerfully sought for the understanding of God's intentions. Um, it's just exciting when we go into some of the communities where we minister in Africa and begin to have a prayer walk and asking God, what is your agenda for this community? Could you tell us so that we can partner with it to see you glorified? And sometimes it's so far away from what we would have imagined or from what looked obvious to us. Um, as we seek God and as we seek God together with the people that he has sent us to, we will know his agenda, which is always dynamic and should continually evolve and be, uh, continually revolve, just taking in the lessons that we are learning as we follow God on that agenda. And um, many things uh, get to be done um, without even seeking God in the first place, without even involving the people that we are working with, without telling them uh, why we are there. 
Uh, we just do things for them or we do things on them, uh, especially the medical people, and uh, never explain anything that we are doing. Um, it really has been very painful the times that we have been in Haiti just to see for example, one time we were in a church and uh, suddenly we needed to stop uh, training, the training that was going on, because an unplanned for American team had come and they needed to go mobilize the children so that they can do things on them and, uh, and just satisfy because the team was there. And uh, we broke for the day. They went and, and brought children the whole afternoon. The, the team came and saw the children who had been seen the previous day by another medical team that had also come. And uh, they gave the prescriptions, and then they took away the medicine after, after that because, really, they had been seen. Um, but they needed to serve this team that had come with medical uh, supplies, um, and give them a hope that they have come and they have done something. We've also witnessed a church that was, was painted, and then a week later, um, they threw that on that church because there was another team coming from another partnering church to come and have a place where they can paint. I'm sure you can all tell stories of the things that we have seen uh, happen in this country in the name of missions and how I know it must so much grieve the heart of God and uh, the negative message that it gives to the people that we go to serve, um, that we are so intent on, uh, on our thinking other than seeking God. In reference to the development scope and the focus that we should have as we go into these communities, uh, I think Matthew 25 clearly says, begin with a felt need. Uh, begin with what is, what is the need of the people, and then move on to include, uh, as the story goes, for the, for the Good Samaritan on the road, move on to have protective measures to make it a wider and a broader range of uh, development goals, that development should speak into the long term, it should speak to the whole life, and it should see restoration coming uh, in a total way. And uh, projects should be designed to fit in with that long term, uh, that holistic strategies. And just a focus on relief without a design to address the longer goals or even the, the root causes of what we do um, leaves us shallow in the eyes of the people that we serve, but also in the eyes of God. Uh, because that is not his plan for development. So in principle, um, God is concerned for the desires. Uh, God is concerned and desires to be involved in uh, development. And development should begin with the proclamation of the word of God. Um, it should continue with the continued proclamation of his word, and it should continue seeing God's intervention of power displayed in the things that we do, because it's a show of God's love to his people. I met two women at the airport in Port-au-Prince, um, and they were coming back, and they were excited about the things that they had seen uh, happen during their, their trip. So we just began to talk. I'm sure you're very much familiar with that airport and the upstairs uh, place where you sort of pose to take uh, coffee before uh, the flight. And as we were sharing a table there, I, I asked them, so which area were you ministering to? And uh, they were both medical doctors, and um, 
I just began to share with them. I'm also a medical doctor, but I'm from Africa, and they got interested as to, oh, you came all the way from Africa. And um, as we began to exchange notes, I, I just began to speak about the spiritual things that I had seen. And then they told me, hey, wait, we are not, we are not believers. Uh, we are actually atheists. And uh, to my surprise, they had come to serve in partnership with churches, and their goal was very different. Um, and the more we talked, the more I realized really their goal was to be praised, um, to be worshipped, to be, to be referred to as heroes. Um, and that was fulfilling them, that they are excited going back, saying how much they were adored by the communities that they served. And uh, it's, it's just interesting to see um, things like that happening in, in Haiti. So service can be, service and service in itself cannot just be, let's just serve, it's just good. Uh, it, we need to qualify it, we need to ask ourselves why do so, and do so in the name of what. Are we tracking together? Anyone falling asleep? <laughs> so in reference to development and prayer, which is really my favorite, um, it's been our experience in life in abundance that development should be birthed in prayer and it should continue to have an atmosphere that is reliant on God for provision. And every time we pray, we know God informs our work. And not only informs our work, but gives us the power and the ability to make a difference in the communities that we serve. And this prayer is intercessory. It should uh, address the national leaders, the policies that are being made, um, protecting those that are weak uh, in prayer. It's really beginning development on our knees, even before we can see it displayed in the communities that we serve. And it's, it's prayer that addresses strongholds. It's prayer that addresses the areas where we will serve that doors may be opened uh, for the gospel, but also for a change that is, that is sustained. Um, yeah, I, I just look at Haiti and uh, the feelings that you get in some of the communities and just feel really the strongholds in these places have not been dealt with. Um, when we went with Southeast, we went to, to just by a river in Jacmel, and God clearly directed us to go and position ourselves and pray at, at a bridge there. And um, we began to pray. I'm looking at Victor because you know that particular spot. Uh, we began to pray, and uh, the presence of God just really came uh, in an overwhelming way. And we, we took the time to pray. Um, I was with Charlie Vitito. We, we prayed over that spot, and we left. And I just wondered, whatever that was about, God, you have accomplished your purpose. Well, later when we went and we were training the churches, uh, we did not realize, but one of the teams that we were training in the training of trainers um, to form a team for holistic ministry in the churches actually came from a church that was just at the doorstep of that very place where we were praying. And... Uh, that church today is leading an amazing transformational ministry in Jacmel. And we just know that day, as the Lord led us to pray an intercessory time there, something was broken. And there was a release and a ministry given to that church that they may have dominion and that God may be worshipped in that area. 
Um, I pray that as we reach out, as we go to the places where he has assigned us, whatever corner we will serve, not just in Haiti, but all over the world, that we will claim dominion and that we will break the dominion of the kingdom of Satan, that the dominion of the kingdom of God can come in. Um, Amen. I have Pentecostals here. Yeah. Uh, in relation to development and biblical teaching, really these go hand in hand. Uh, teaching is such a key activity in fulfilling the Great Commission. So if we go into medical missions, um, we have to be willing to teach, to teach them to obey. And this should be a continuous activity, just dwelling on the biblical principles. Uh, it enables spiritual growth of the people and the communities that we are called to. And it is not something that can happen over a week. So we cannot just go quickly, do what we need to do, and come out and say we fulfilled the Great Commission. It calls for staying power. It calls for the long-term relationship with the people that are there, dealing with the local cultural values and addressing those things that are contrary to Scripture. And I have a feeling so, very little of that has been done by the, the quick trips that we, we make into Haiti. Um, so people have not been taught, and when they've not been taught, they do not know the difference between adequacy and abundance. They do not know how to submit to authority. They do not know how to work in a way that is God-honoring. They do not know if there's anything wrong with being corrupt and um, just continuing to depend on that aid and to cheat your way around the aid so that it can continue to, to feed your, your appetite um, because, because we have not taught them. We have not made disciples. We have made our way and wanted to address our agenda and, uh, and look like the heroes in, in those countries. It's important to understand relationships. Uh, we, we, can create and we can create those relationships in such a way that they facilitate development. Man is so relational. And if we, we take on that and use it for the kingdom of God, um, it can be very impactful. But also if we use those relationships and abuse them, they can also be detrimental. Uh, when we create dependency, we facilitate a form of slavery. Um, because it takes away dignity, it takes away self-worth, it makes man depend on another, and it sort of just makes us God. Um, but at the same time, independence and just feeling you're able, you're capable, you're, you're the strong one, uh, can in itself be a revolt against a certain authority. Um, in the dependence is the balance that... Uh, can be created in the relationships that we make. And uh, the development that we facilitate through that interdependence results in greater awareness of how we depend on God. It should result in the recipients having a greater control over their lives and the future rather than a greater dependence on others. And uh, development should be sustainable by the recipients when there's that interdependence because they learn how do they depend on one another in their community, how do they begin to secure resources that they can reach out to to sustain that which has been developed. But when we go and teach dependency, uh, they're blind to what is there because they are waiting for what will come from the other end to come and solve the problems at their doorsteps. Many, many agencies that go to Haiti disempower the beneficiaries. 
and uh, they continue to sustain their own agenda. They continue to keep that desire to continue coming, and um, they're really serving themselves, not serving the Haitians that are on the ground. Um, Cooperating in just relationships and networks is another key principle that I believe if we employ it in the work that we do in Haiti, we will make a difference. Um, we should encourage not only intentional cooperation between people and groups and churches and governments and in the communities, but also cooperation between us here, uh, that we are united in reaching out that not all of us are going to do education, but as we do education, one is doing health, one is doing another, that we are not preaching the Baptist agenda and then there's the other agenda being brought in by the other denomination and we are not just preaching the other agenda and confusing the same people who are recipients to that. I believe these are networks that will only be accomplished if we are humble if we are seeking to truly obey God, and if we are broken, that it's not about us, but it's about God. Um, that we will look out for our neighbors and be united, because it's in that unity where God commands a blessing. Um, Psalms 133, uh, as we unite together, God will command a blessing. This is what he prayed for us as he left, that we may be one. And so it needs not only begin on this side of the world, but it also needs to be maintained and advocated for in the areas where we go and serve. And unless it's here, it cannot happen there um, because we are the facilitators of that. How about the role of the local church in development? As we have served God in these uh, very devastated areas over the last 20 years, um, the church, the local church, even in, in its infancy, even in its weakest form, is still the choice agent of transformational development. Um, it's uh, the one that will, will stand the test of time. It's the one that is representative of the community. It's the representation of God in that community. It cannot be a parachurch organization. It cannot be uh, foreigners who have come into that community. Um, God just chooses to exalt his, his body. And uh, the church is the one that has that uh, authority. It's the institution that he established, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So partnering with the local churches and empowering this institution to make a mark in development is agreeing with God's intent in these areas. And the churches that have an authority to claim their communities, to claim the areas where they are, that God's dominion may come. Uh, they are there to declare the glory of God. I could go on and share the importance of integrity of leaders, and uh, I'm sure you all agree with me that we are so lacking in Haiti in the integrity of leaders. And I could also go on and talk about the marked corruption, uh, just the leadership absence that is there, how we have stolen the dignity of men in, in Haiti and um, disempowered them in, in just amazing ways over the years. I could also go on and talk about justice and equity and uh, how we can employ that principle that we're not just reaching out to believers, we're not just reaching out to the people in the church, but are equipping the church to reach out to everyone um, 
whatever they, they are following, that through that uh, God may be glorified. Um, but I think we are, we are also to, totally aware of that. And Luke 6, 32 to 33 just tells us um, how that is so true, that we, we need justice and equity. Just as I come uh, towards the conclusion and give us time to speak into this, it's true, Haiti has strong cultural practices, and we need to be sensitive uh, as we engage in development in Haiti. Um, Within scriptural guidelines, the local church values um, can be brought into these communities uh, so that they can be respected and uh, Things that are of cultural practices that are not in line with the church, the church can address those in a way that is, that is convenient and within the context of that. Uh, when it comes to, to development, when it comes to complex issues, um, we are called to simplify them, to bring them to the context where they can be applied by the local recipients in a way that they understand and they can be part of that. Really, that's why we are called to be facilitators of the development other than doing it ourselves. Um, I want to just pause here for a minute and just hear one or two comments as to uh, what is God saying in relation to Haiti. Um, where have we gone wrong and how are we feeling that God is addressing uh, what we are hearing now before I go on to the, the remaining slide? People in Haiti, yes, please. We need to set aside our pride. The biggest issue going on in Haiti is the fact that every NGO wants to take ownership of what they're doing, and they want it to be about them. And we need to work together, partner with each other, and quit duplicating efforts. And quit riding around in $70,000 SUVs and spend the time learning the culture, learning what the people need, and working them into the ministry. Our goal should be to build ministries that they take over, they take ownership of, and we work ourselves out of the country. That's it. Not to be dependent for 50 or 60 years. Thank you very much. Any other comments? What is God saying to us? Yes, please. The spiritual part. Thanks, Charlie. Sorry, I mentioned you without knowing you were here. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. One more comment. What is God saying in relation to what we can do in Haiti? Yes, please.
to reduce the American footprint, the American bodies that are going to be. True relationships that we are not just going to do and long term. Get invested in a few people instead of trying to save a whole neighborhood. Get invested in what them make that ripple effect around them. Thank you. Just uh, as I conclude on, in relation to the beneficiary participation, uh, this really cannot be overstated, uh, that people need to, to own their development, to participate in the decisions that are being made, and that they should increasingly share in that decision-making, um, that when we go with our agenda, and it remains our agenda the first, second, third year, and we leave without the people that we are serving never really ever having participated in their own development, um, we have failed. And uh, this can closely be tied in with self-reliance. Um, interventions should help uh, participants to do things for themselves. And uh, the only way that we can empower them is if we train them to do these things, uh, teaching them to do these things that Jesus commanded us. That's that's part of the Great Commission. Uh, so activities should not be just done, but activities should be done with, uh, with an involvement and with a possible of passing on those skills to the people that we are serving. That, like it was said, we are working ourselves out of that job. Um, just talking from experience, we have been involved in communities that are very illiterate, very far from development, um, in places like Djibouti, in places like Somaliland, and we know people can be trained. Uh, people have the ability to understand, and people can learn skills and begin to apply them um, even when they are not educated. Uh, we have seen <coughs> people who do not know how to read and write being taught how to do teeth extraction and even how to do dental care in places where it does not exist. And we know there's no skill that is too difficult for us to pass on um, if we are willing to pass it on, or rather if we are willing to obey God because we are called to go make uh, disciples. Just in summary, some of the, the principles, just to uh, summarize a few that, uh, if at all, we can carry them with us. It's Christian development is based on God's intention for the nations. The main goal of development is to disciple nations and development agenda should be set by the beneficiaries themselves. Prayer, we have said, is a key, has a key role in development. Evangelism and biblical teachings should be integrated with development. And dependency is a development killer, and interdependence in development is to be cultivated. The local church uh, has to be in the center. There has to be sensitivity to the beneficiaries and the culture and the practices that they have, that we may align them with God, and uh, the beneficiaries must pa uh, participate in their own development. So for Haiti, many mistakes have been done, and to blame a culture or their relationship with the devil um, is to refuse to take responsibility because God invites us to partner with him that he may have dominion and be worshipped in the darkest of places on the earth. And it's possible that there is hope, there can be hope in, in Haiti. 
And it is sometimes difficult not to succumb to hopelessness uh, in the face of so much dependency. Um, but let me encourage you. Uh, remarkably, the Haitian struggle for dignity, for equality, for autonomy is alive and well. Um, they are ready. Uh, there are possibilities. There is hope. There is a readiness. And they want to be involved in their development. We saw a graffiti on a wall in Port-au-Prince that declared a different Port-au-Prince is possible. We are actually taken to that to see that. So there is hope um, in, if the church would take its position. And there is hope if we would go in the principles of development that are clearly biblical and go and make disciples even in Haiti. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you very much and God bless you.